So the beginning of week 48, uh, day 330, and we continue through 1 Corinthians as we begin this week. Starting at chapter 3, verse 1. Brothers, I was not able to speak to you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as babies in Christ. I fed you milk, not solid food, because you were not able yet to receive it. In fact, you are still not able, because you are still fleshy. For since there is envy and strife among you, are you not fleshly and living like ordinary people? For whenever someone says, I'm with Paul, and another, I'm with Apollos, are you not typical men? So what is Apollos, and what is Paul? They are servants through whom you believed, and each has the role the Lord has given. I planted, Apollos watered, and God gave the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Now the one who plants and the one who waters are equal, and each will receive his own reward according to his own labour. For we are God's co-workers, you are God's field, God's building. According to God's grace that was given to me, as a skilled master builder I have laid a foundation and another builds on it. But each one must be careful how he builds on it, because no one can lay any other foundation than what has been laid, that is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay or straw, each one's work will become obvious, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. The fire will test the quality of each one's work. If anyone's work that he has built survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, it will be lost, but he will be saved. Yet it will be like an escape through fire. Don't you know that you are God's sanctuary and that the Spirit of God lives in you? If anyone ruins God's sanctuary, God will ruin him, for God's sanctuary is holy and that is what you are. No one should deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age, he must become foolish so that he can become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God, since it is written, He catches the wise in their craftiness, and again, the Lord knows the reasonings of the wise, that they are futile. So no one should boast in man, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, or the world or life or death or things present or things to come. All are yours, and you belong to Christ and Christ to God. A person should consider us in this way, as servants of Christ and managers of God's mysteries. In this regard, it is expected of managers that each one be found faithful. It is of little importance that I should be evaluated by you or by a human court. In fact, I don't even evaluate myself. For I am not conscious of anything against myself, but I am not justified by this. The one who evaluates me is the Lord. Therefore, don't judge anything prematurely. Before the Lord comes, who will both bring to light what is hidden in darkness and reveal the intentions of the hearts. And then prayers will come to each one from God. Now, brothers, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, so that you may learn from us the saying, Nothing beyond what is written. The purpose is that none of you will be inflated with pride in favour of one person over another. For who makes you so superior? What do you have that you didn't receive? If, in fact, you did receive it, why do you boast as if you hadn't received it? Already you are full, already you are rich. You have begun to reign as kings without us, and I wish you did reign so that we also could reign with you. For I, for I, for I, think, for I think the apostles in the last place, like men condemned to die, we have become a spectacle to the world and to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are dishonoured. Up to the present hour we are both hungry and thirsty. We are poorly clothed, roughly treated, homeless. 
we labour working with our own hands. When we are reviled, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we entreat. We are even now like the world's garbage, like the filth of all things. I am not writing this to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. For you can have ten thousand instructors in Christ, but you can't have many fathers. Now I have fathered you in Christ Jesus through the gospel, therefore I urge you, be imitators of me. This is why I have sent you to Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord. He will remind you about my ways in Christ Jesus, just as I teach everywhere in every church. Now some are inflated with pride, as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I will know not the talk but the power of those who are inflated with pride. For the kingdom of God is not in talk but in power. What do you want? Should I come to you with a rod or in love and a spirit of gentleness? It is widely reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and the kind of sexual immorality that is not even condoned among the Gentiles. A man is living with his father's wife, and you are inflated with pride instead of filled with grief, so that he who has committed this act might be removed from among you. For although absent in body but present in spirit, I have already decided about him who has done this thing as though I were present. In the name of our Lord Jesus, when you are assembled, along with my spirit and with the power of our Lord Jesus, turn that one over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast permeates the whole batch of dough? Clean out the old yeast so that you may be a new batch, since you are unleavened. For Christ our Passover has been sacrificed. Therefore let us observe the feast not with old yeast or with the yeast of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in a letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, by no means referring to this world's immoral people or to the greedy and swindlers or to idolaters, otherwise you would have to leave the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother, who is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or a reviler, a drunkard or a swindler. Do not even eat with such a person. For what is it to me to judge outsiders? Do you not judge those who are inside? But God judges outsiders. Put away the evil person from among yourselves. Does any of you who has a complaint against someone dare go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels, not to speak of things pertaining to this life? So if you have cases pertaining to this life, do you select those who have no standing in the church to judge? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is not one wise person among you who will be able to arbitrate between his brothers? Instead, brother goes to law against brother and that before unbelievers. Therefore, it is already a total defeat for you that you have lawsuits against one another. Why not rather put up with injustice? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you act unjustly and cheat, and this to brothers. Do you not know that the unjust will not inherit God's kingdom? Do not be deceived. No sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, male prostitutes, homosexuals, thieves, greedy people, drunkards, revilers, or swindlers will inherit God's kingdom. Some of you were like this, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is helpful. 
Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be brought under the control of anything. Foods for the stomach and the stomach for foods, but God will do away with both of them. The body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. God raised up the Lord and also will raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are the members of Christ? So should I take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Absolutely not. Do you not know that anyone joined to a prostitute is one body with her, for it says the two will become one flesh? But anyone joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every sin a person can commit is outside the body, but the person who is sexually immoral sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a sanctuary of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. And there we end, day 330. Day 331, as we continue through 1 Corinthians, from chapter 7, verse 1, through to chapter 9, verse 27. About the things you wrote. It is good for a man to not to have relations with a woman, but because of sexual immorality each man should have his own wife, and each woman should have her own husband. A husband should fulfil his marital duty to his wife, and likewise a wife to her husband. A wife does not have authority over her own body, but her husband does. Equally, a husband does not have authority over his own body, but his wife does. Do not deprive one another except when you agree for a time to devote yourselves to prayer, Then come together again, otherwise Satan may tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish that all people were just like me, but each has his own gift from God, one this and another that. I say to the unmarried and to widows, it is good for them if they remain as I am. But if they do not have self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with desire. I command married, not I, but the Lord. A wife is not to leave her husband. But if she does leave, she must remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband, and a husband is not to leave his wife. But to the rest I, not the Lord, say, If any brother has an unbelieving wife and she is willing to live with him, he must not leave her. Also, if any woman has an unbelieving husband and he is willing to live with her, she must not leave her husband. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the Christian husband. Otherwise your children would be unclean, but now they are holy. But if the unbeliever leaves, let him leave. A brother or a sister is not bound in such cases. God has called you to peace. For you, wife, how do you know whether you will save your husband? Or you, husband, how do you know whether you will save your wife? However, each one must live his life in the situation the Lord assigned when God called him. This is why I command in all the churches. Was anyone already circumcised when he was called? he should not undo his circumcision. Was anyone called while uncircumcised, he should not get circumcised. Circumcision does not matter, and uncircumcision does not matter, but keeping God's commandments does. Each person should remain in the life situation in which he was called. Were you called while a slave? It should not be a concern to you, but if you can become free, by all means take the opportunity. For he who is called by the Lord as a slave is the Lord's freedman. Likewise, he who is called as a free man is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brothers, each person should remain with God in whatever situation he was called. About virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I do give an opinion, as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. 
Therefore I consider this to be good because of the present distress. It is fine for a man to stay as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be loosed. Are you loosed from a wife? Do not seek a wife. However, if you do get married, you have not sinned, and if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But such people will have trouble in this life, and I am trying to spare you. And I say this, brothers, the time is limited. So from now on, those who have wives should be as though they had none. Those who weep as though they did not weep. Those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. Those who buy as though they did not possess. And those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it. For this world in its current form is passing away. I want you to be without concerns. An unmarried man is concerned about the things of God, how he may please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife, and he is divided. An unmarried woman or a virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, so that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. Now I am saying this for your own benefit, not to put a restraint on you, but because of what is proper, and so that you may be devoted to the Lord without distraction. But if any man thinks he is acting improperly toward his virgin, if she is past marriable age, and so it must be, he can do what he wants. He is not sinning, they can get married. But he who stands firm in his heart, who is under no compulsion but has control over his own will, and has decided in his heart to keep his own virgin, he will do well. So then he who marries his virgin does well, but he who does not marry will do better. A wife is bound as long as her husband is living, but if her husband dies, she is free to be married to anyone she wants, only in the Lord. But she is happier if she remains as she is, in my opinion, and I think that I also have the Spirit of God. About food offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge inflates with pride, but love builds up. If anyone thinks he knows anything, he does not yet know it as he ought to know it. But if anyone loves God, he is known by him. About eating food offered to idols, then, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or in earth, as there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things, and we for him, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and we through him. However, not everyone has this knowledge. In fact, some have been so used to idolatry up until now, that when they eat Food offered to an idol, their conscience being weak, is defiled. Food will not make us acceptable to God. We are not inferior if we don't eat, and we are not better if we do eat. But be careful that this right of yours in no way becomes a stumbling block to the weak. For if somebody sees you, the one who has this knowledge, dining in an idol's temple, won't his weak conscience be encouraged to eat food offered to idols? Then the weak person, the brother for whom Christ died, is ruined by your knowledge. Now when you sin like this against the brothers and wound their weak conscience, you are sinning against Christ. Therefore if food causes my brother to fall, I will never again eat meat, so that I won't cause my brother to fall. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If I am not an apostle to others, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. My defence to those who examine me is this, don't we have the right to eat and drink? Don't we have the right to be accompanied by a Christian wife like the other apostles, the Lord's brothers, and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working? Whoever goes to war at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat its fruit? Or who shepherds a flock and does not drink the milk from the flock? 
Am I saying this from a human perspective? Doesn't the law also say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, Do not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Is God really concerned with oxen, or isn't he really saying it for us? Yes, it is written for us, because he who ploughs ought to plough on hope, and he who threshes should do so in hope of sharing the crop. If we have sown spiritual things for you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this authority over you, don't we even more? However, we have not used this authority. Instead, we endure everything so that we will not hinder the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who perform the temple services eat the food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the offerings of the altar? In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should earn their living by the gospel. But I have used none of these rights, and I have not written this to make it happen that way for me. For it would be better for me to die than for anyone to deprive me of my boast. For if I preach the gospel, I have no reason to boast, because an obligation is placed on me. And woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this willingly, I have a reward, but if unwillingly, I am entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? To preach the gospel and offer it free of charge, and not make full use of my authority in the gospel. For although I am free from all people, I have made myself a slave to all in order to win more people. To the Jews I became like a Jew, to win Jews. To those under the law like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, to win those under the law. To those who are outside the law, like one outside the law, not being outside God's law but under the law of Christ, to win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak in order to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that I may by all means save some. Now I do all this because of the gospel, that I may become a partner in its benefits. Do you not know that the runners in a stadium all race, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Now everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything. However, they do it to receive a perishable crown, but we an imperishable one. Therefore I do not run like one who runs aimlessly, or box like one who beats the air. Instead I discipline my body and bring it under strict control, so that after preaching to others I myself will not be disqualified. And there we end day 331. Day 332, and we continue through 1 Corinthians from chapter 10, verse 1, through to chapter 12, verse 31. Now I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food, and they all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from a spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But God was not pleased with most of them, for they were struck down in the desert. Now these things became examples for us, so that we will not desire evil as they did. Don't become idolaters as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and got up to play. Let us not commit sexual immorality as some of them did, and in a single day 23,000 people fell dead. Let us not tempt Christ as some of them did, and were destroyed by snakes. Nor should we complain as some of them did and were killed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as examples, and they were written as a warning to us on whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, whoever thinks he stands must be careful not to fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to humanity. God is faithful, and he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, 
but with the temptation he will also provide a way of escape so that you are able to bear it. Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. I am speaking as to wise people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a sharing in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a sharing in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for all of us share that one bread. Look at the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices partners in the altar? What am I saying then? That food offered to idols is anything, or that an idol is anything? No, but what I do say, that what they sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be partners with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot share in the Lord's table and the table of demons. Or are we provoking the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Everything is permissible, but not everything is helpful. Everything is permissible, but not everything builds up. No one should seek his own good, but the good of the other person. Eat everything that is sold in the meat market, asking no questions for conscience' sake, for the earth is the Lord's and all that is in it. If one of the unbelievers invites you over and you want to go, eat everything that is set before you without raising questions of conscience. But if someone says to you, this food is offered to an idol, do not eat it out of consideration for the one who told you and for conscience' sake. I do not mean your own conscience, but the other person's. For why is my freedom judged by another person's conscience? If I partake with thanks, why am I slandered because of something for which I give thanks? Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for God's glory. Give no offence to the Jews or the Greeks or the Church of God, just as I also try to please all people in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. Be imitators of me, as I also am of Christ. Now I praise you because you remember me in all things, and keep the traditions just as I delivered them to you. But I want you to know that Christ is the head of every man, and the man is the head of the woman, and God is the head of Christ. Every man who prays or prophesies with something on his head dishonours his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonours her head, since that is one and the same as having her head shaved. So if a woman's head is not covered, her hair should be cut off. But if it is disgraceful for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, she should be covered. A man, in fact, should not cover his head because he is God's image and glory, but woman is man's glory. For man did not come from woman, but woman came from man. And man was not created for woman, but woman for man. This is why a woman should have a symbol of authority on her head, because of the angels. However, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, and man is not independent of woman. For just as woman came from man, so man comes through woman, and all things come from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair it is a disgrace to him, but that if a woman has long hair it is her glory? For her hair is given to her as a covering, but if anyone wants to argue about this, we have no other custom, nor do the churches of God. Now in giving the following instruction, I do not praise you, since you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For to begin with, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and in part I believe it. There must indeed be factions among you, so that the approved among you may be recognised. Therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not really to eat the Lord's Supper, 
For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others, and one person is hungry while another is drunk. Don't you have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you look down on the church of God and embarrass those who have nothing? What should I say to you? Should I praise you? I do not praise you for this. We skip out from verses 23 to 27. That is where we've already read of the Lord's Supper. And then pick up again in Corinthians chapter 11 verse 27. Therefore whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy way will be guilty of sin against the body and blood of the Lord. So a man should examine himself. In this way he should eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For whoever eats and drinks without recognising the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many are sick and ill among you, and many have fallen asleep. If we were properly evaluating ourselves, we would not be judged, but, but when we are judged we are disciplined by the Lord, so that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, he should eat at home, so that you can come together and not cause judgment. And I will give instructions about the other matters whenever I come. About matters of the Spirit, brothers, I do not want you to be unaware. You know how when you were pagans you were led to dumb idols being led astray. Therefore I am informing you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus is cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Now there are different gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different ministries, but the same Lord. And there are different activities, but the same God is active in every one and everything. A manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person to produce what is beneficial. To one is given a message of wisdom through the Spirit, to another a message of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the performing of miracles, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between Spirits, to another different kinds of languages, to another interpretation of languages. But one and the same Spirit is active in all these, distributing to each one as he wills. For as the body is one and has many parts, and all the parts of that body, though many, are one body, so also is Christ. For we were all baptised by one Spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we are all made to drink of one Spirit. So the body is not one part but many. If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I don't belong to the body, in spite of this it still belongs to the body. And if the ear should say, Because I am not an eye, I don't belong to the body. In spite of this it still belongs to the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were an ear, where would the sense of smell? But now God has placed the parts, each one of them, in the body just as he wanted. And if they were all the same part, where would the body be? Now there are many parts, yet one body... So the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, nor again the head to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, all the more, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are necessary, and those parts of the body that we think to be less honourable, we clothe these with greater honour, and our unpresentable parts have a better presentation. But our presentable parts have no need of clothing. Instead, God has put the body together, giving greater honour to the less honourable, so that there would be no division in the body, but that the members would have the same concern for each other. So if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honoured, all the members rejoice with it. 
Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it, and God has placed these in the church. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers, next miracles and gifts of healing, helping, managing, various kinds of languages. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all do miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in languages? Do all interpret? But desire the greater gifts, and I will show you an even better way. And there we end, day 332. Day 333, and we continue through 1 Corinthians from chapter 13, verse 1, through to chapter 15, verse 58. If I speak the languages of men and of angels, but do not have love, I am a sounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith so that I can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I donate all my goods to feed the poor, and if I give my body to be burned, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind. Love does not envy, it is not boastful, is not conceited, does not act improperly, is not selfish, is not provoked, does not keep a record of wrongs, finds no joy in unrighteousness but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends, but as for prophecies they will come to an end, as for languages they will cease, as for knowledge it will come to an end. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put aside childish things. For now we see indistinctly, as in a mirror, but then face to face. Now I know in part, and then I will know fully, as I am fully known. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, and above all that you may prophesy. For the person who speaks in another language is not speaking to men, but to God, since no one understands him. However, he speaks mysteries in the Spirit. But the person who prophesies speaks to people for edification, encouragement and consolation. The person who speaks in another language builds himself up, but he who prophesies builds up the church. I wish all of you spoke in other languages, but even more that you prophesied. The person who prophesies is greater than the person who speaks in languages, unless he interprets so that the church may be built up. But now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in other languages, how will I benefit you, unless I speak to you with a revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? Even inanimate things producing sounds, whether flute or harp, if they don't have a distinction in the notes, how will what is played in the flute or harp be recognised? In fact, if the trumpet makes an unclear sound, who will prepare for battle? In the same way, unless you use your tongue for intelligible speech, how will what is spoken be known? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different kinds of languages in the world, and all have meaning. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker will be a foreigner to me. So also you, since you are zealous in matters of the Spirit, seek to excel in building up the church. Therefore the person who speaks in another language should pray that he can interpret. 
For if I pray in another language, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What then? I will pray with the spirit, and I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing with the spirit, and I will also sing with my understanding. Otherwise, if you bless with the spirit, how will the uninformed person say amen at your giving of thanks, since he does not know what you are saying? For you may very well be giving thanks, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in other languages more than all of you. Yet in the church I would rather speak five words with my understanding in order to teach others also than ten thousand words in another language. Brothers, don't be childish in your thinking, but be infants and evil and adult in your thinking. It is written in the law, By people of other languages and by the lips of foreigners I will speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. It follows that speaking in other languages is intended as a sign not to believers but to unbelievers. But prophecy is not for unbelievers but for believers. Therefore, if the whole church assembles together and all are speaking in other languages, and people who are uninformed or unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all are prophesying and some unbeliever or uninformed person comes in, he is convicted by all and is judged by all. The secrets of his heart will be revealed, and as a result he will fall down on his face and worship God, proclaiming, God really is among you. How is it then, brothers? Whenever you come together, each one has a psalm, a teaching, a revelation, another language, or an interpretation. All things must be done for edification. If any person speaks in another language, there should be only two, or at the most three, each in turn, and someone must interpret. But if there is no interpreter, that person should keep silent in the church and speak to himself and to God. Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should evaluate but if something has been revealed to another person sitting there, the first prophet should be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that everyone may learn and everyone may be encouraged. And the prophet's spirits are under the control of the prophets, since God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should be silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be submissive, as the law also says. And if they want to learn something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church meeting. Did the word of God originate from you, or did it come to you only? If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, he should recognise that what I write to you is the Lord's command. But if anyone ignores this, he will be ignored. Therefore, my brothers, be eager to prophesy, and do not forbid speaking in other languages. But everything must be done decently and in order. Now, brothers, I want to clarify for you the gospel I proclaim to you. You received it and have taken your stand on it. You are also saved by it, if you hold to the message I proclaim to you, unless you believed to no purpose. For I passed on to you as most important that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and then we leave out verses 5, 6 and 7 of chapter 15 and go into verse 8. Last of all, as to one abnormally born, he also appeared to me. For I am the least of the prophets, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by God's grace I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not ineffective. However, I worked more than any of them, yet not I, but God's grace that was with me. Therefore, whether it is I or they, so we preach, and so you have believed. 
Now, if Christ is preached as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is without foundation, and so is your faith. In addition, we are found to be false witnesses about God, because we have testified about God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless, you are still in your sins. Therefore those who have fallen asleep in Christ have also perished. If we have placed our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be pitied more than anyone. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For just as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, afterward at his coming the people of Christ. Then comes the end, when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, when he abolishes all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign until he puts all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be abolished is death, for he has put everything under his feet. But when it says everything is put under him, it is obvious that he who puts everything under him is the exception. And when everything is subject to him, then the Son himself will also be subject to him who subjected everything to him, so that God may be all in all. Otherwise, what will they do who are being baptised for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, then why are the people baptised for them? Why are we in danger every hour? I affirm by the pride in you that I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die every day. If I fought wild animals in Ephesus with only human hope, what good does that do to me? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Become right-minded and stop sinning, because some people are ignorant about God. I say this to your shame. But someone will say, How are the dead raised? What kind of body will they have when they come? Foolish one. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And as for what you sow, you are not sowing the future body, but only a seed perhaps of wheat or another grain. But God gives it a body as he wants, and to each of the seeds its own body. Not all flesh is the same flesh. There is one flesh for humans, another flesh for birds, another for animals, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the splendour of the heavenly bodies is different from that of the earthly ones. There is a splendour of the sun, another of the moon, and another of the stars, for stars differ from star and splendour. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. Sown in corruption, raised in incorruption. Sown in dishonour, raised in glory. Sown in weakness, raised in power. Sown in a natural body, raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there also is a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man Adam became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth and made of dust. The second man is from heaven. Like the man made of dust, so are those who are made of dust. Like the heavenly man, so are those who are heavenly. And just as we have borne the image of the man made of dust, we will also bear the image of the heavenly man. Brothers, I tell you this. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, and corruption cannot inherit incorruption. Listen, I am telling you a mystery. We will not all fall asleep, but we will be changed in a moment.
in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we will be changed. Because this corruptible must be clothed with incorruptibility, and this mortal must be clothed with immortality. Now when this corruptible is clothed with incorruptibility, and this mortal is clothed with immortality, then the saying that is written will take place. Death has been swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Now the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work, knowing that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. And there we end, day 333. Today on day 334 we finish off 1 Corinthians. We read a couple of verses of Acts before going on to 2 Corinthians. But we finish 1 Corinthians reading from chapter 16, verse 1. Now about the collection for the saints, you should do the same as I instructed the Galatian churches. On the first day of the week, each of you is to set something aside and save to the extent that he prospers, so that no collections will need to be made when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you recommend by letter to carry your gracious gift to Jerusalem. If it is suitable for me to go also, they will travel with me. I will come to you after I pass through Macedonia, for I will be travelling through Macedonia, and perhaps I will remain with you or even spend the winter, that you may send me on my way wherever I go. I don't want to see you now just in passing, for I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord allows, but I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, because a wide door for effective ministry has opened for me, yet many oppose me. If Timothy comes, see that he has nothing to fear from you, because he is doing the Lord's work just as I am. Therefore no one should look down on him, but you should send him on his way in peace so he can come to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. About our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to come to you with the brothers, but he was not at all willing to come now, however when he has time he will come. Be alert, stand firm in the faith, be brave and strong, your every action must be done with love. Brothers, you know the household of Stephanus. They are the firstfruits of Achaia and have devoted themselves to serving the saints. I urge you also to submit to such people and to everyone who works and labours with them. I am delighted over the presence of Stephanus, Fortunatus and Achaius, because these men have made up for your absence. For they have refreshed my spirit and yours, therefore recognise such people. The churches of the Asian province greet you. Aquila and Priscilla greet you heartily in the Lord, along with the church that meets in their home. All the brothers greet you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. This greeting is in my own hand, Paul. If anyone does not love the Lord, a curse be on him. Maranatha, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with all of you in Jesus Christ. Then we read one verse of 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3. As I urged you when I went to Macedonia... Remain in Ephesus so that you may command certain people not to teach other doctrine. And Acts chapter 20 verse 1. After the uproar was over, Paul sent for the disciples, encouraged them, and after saying goodbye, departed to go to Macedonia. And then we read 2 Corinthians chapter 1, from verse 1 through to chapter 3 verse 18. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, and Timothy our brother, to God's church at Corinth with all the saints who are throughout Achaia. 
Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. He comforts us in our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction, through the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For as the sufferings of Christ overflow to us, so our comfort overflows through Christ. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which is experienced in the endurance of the same sufferings that we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that as you share in the sufferings, so you will share in the comfort. For we don't want you to be unaware, brothers, of our affliction that took place in the province of Asia. We were completely overwhelmed beyond our strength, so that we even despaired of life. However, we personally had a death sentence within ourselves, so that we would not trust in ourselves but in God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a terrible death and he will deliver us. We have placed our hope in him that he will deliver us again. And you can join in helping with prayer for us, so that thanks may be given by many on our behalf for the gift that came to us through the prayers of many. For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience that we have conducted ourselves in the world, and especially toward you, with God-given sincerity and purity, not by fleshly wisdom but by God's grace. Now we are writing you nothing other than what you can read and also understand. I hope you will understand completely, as you have partially understood us, that we are your reason for pride as you are ours in the day of our Lord Jesus. In this confidence I plan to come to you first so that you could have a double benefit and to go on to Macedonia with your help, then come to you again from Macedonia and be given a start by you on my journey to Judea. So when I planned this, was I irresponsible? Or what I planned, do I plan in purely human way, so that I say yes, yes, and no, no simultaneously? As God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me and Silvanus and Timothy, did not become yes and no. On the contrary, yes has become about in him. For every one of God's promises is yes in him. Therefore the Amen is also through him for God's glory through us. Now the one who confirms us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God. He has also sealed us and given us the Spirit as a down payment in our hearts. I call on God as a witness against me. It was to spare you that I did not come to Corinth. Not that we have control of your faith, but we are workers with you for your joy, because you stand by faith. In fact, I made up my mind about this, not to come to you on another painful visit. For if I cause you pain, then who will cheer me other than the one hurt? I wrote this very thing so that when I came, I wouldn't have pain from those who ought to give me joy, because I am confident about all of you that my joy is yours. For out of an extremely troubled and anguished heart, I wrote to you with many tears. Not that you should be hurt, but that you should know the abundant love I have for you. If anyone has caused pain, he has not caused pain to me, but in some degree, not to exaggerate, to all of you. The punishment by the majority is sufficient for such a person, so now you should forgive and comfort him instead. Otherwise this one may be overwhelmed by excessive grief. Therefore I urge you to confirm your love to him. It was for this purpose I wrote, so I may know your proven character, if you are obedient in everything. Now to whom you forgive anything, I do too. For what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, 
it is for you in the presence of Christ, so that we may not be taken advantage of by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his intentions. When I came to Troas for the gospel of Christ, a door was opened to me by the Lord. I had no rest in my spirit because I did not find my brother Titus, but I said goodbye to them and left for Macedonia. But thanks be to God who always puts us on display in Christ and spreads through us in every place the scent of knowing him. For to God we are the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To some we are a scent of death leading to death, but to others a scent of life leading to life. And who is competent for this? For we are not like the many who made a trade in God's message for profit, but as those with sincerity we speak in Christ as from God and before God. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or like some do we need letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, recognised and read by everyone, since it is plain that you are Christ's letter produced by us, not written with ink but with the Spirit of the living God, not on stone tablets but on tablets that are hearts of flesh. We have this kind of confidence toward God through Christ, not that we are competent in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our competence is from God. He has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter but of the Spirit, for the letter kills but the Spirit produces life. Now if the ministry of death, chiselled in letters on stones, came with glory, so that the sons of Israel were not able to look directly at Moses' face because of the glory from his face, a fading glory, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness overflows with even more glory. In fact, what had been glorious is not glorious in this case because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was fading away was glorious, what endures will be even more glorious. Therefore, having such a hope, we use great boldness, not like Moses who used to put a veil over his face so that the sons of Israel could not look at the end of what was fading away, but their minds were closed. For to this day, at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains. It is not lifted because it is set aside only in Christ. However, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We all, with unveiled faces, are reflecting the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is the Spirit. And there we end, day 334. Day 335, and we continue through Second Corinthians, reading from chapter 4, verse 1, through to chapter 8, verse 15. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not give up. Instead, we have renounced shameful secret things, not walking in deceit or distorting God's message, but in God's sight we commend ourselves to every person's conscience by an open display of the truth. But if, in fact, our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Regarding them, the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers, so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we are not proclaiming ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your slaves because of Jesus. For God, who said, Light shall shine out of darkness, he has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. Now we have this treasure in clay jars, 
so that this extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. We are pressured in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry the death of Jesus in our body, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who live are always given over to death because of Jesus, so that Jesus' life may also be revealed in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you. And since we have the same spirit of faith in accordance with what is written, I believe, therefore I spoke, we also believed and therefore speak, knowing that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and present us with you. For all this is because of you, so that grace, extended through more and more people, may cause thanksgiving to overflow to God's glory. Therefore we do not give up, even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen but what is unseen, for what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. For we know that if our earthly house, a tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands eternal in the heavens. And in fact we groan in this one, longing to put on our house from heaven, since when we are clothed we will not be found naked. Indeed we who are in this tent groan, burdened as we are, because we do not want to be unclothed but clothed, so that mortality may be swallowed up by life. And the one who prepared us for this very thing is God, who gave us the Spirit as a down payment. Therefore, though we are always confident and know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yet we are confident and satisfied to be out of the body and at home with the Lord. Therefore, whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to be pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or bad. Knowing then the fear of the Lord, we persuade people. We are completely open before God, and I hope we are completely open to your consciences as well. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you an opportunity to be proud of us, so that you may have a reply for those who take pride in the outward appearance, rather than in the heart. For if we are out of our mind, it is for God. If we have a sound mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us, since we have reached this conclusion. If one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. From now on, then, we do not know anyone in a purely human way. Even if we have known Christ in a purely human way, yet now we no longer know him like that. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. All things have passed away, and look, new things have come. Now everything is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, certain that God is appealing through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Working together with him, we also appeal to you, don't receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in an acceptable time I heard you, and in the day of salvation I helped you. Look, now is the acceptable time. 
Look, now is the day of salvation. We give no opportunity for stumbling to anyone, so that the ministry will not be blamed. But in everything as God's ministers we commend ourselves. By great endurance, by afflictions, by hardship, by pressures, by beatings, by imprisonments, by riots, by labours, by sleepless nights, by times of hunger, by purity, by knowledge, by patience, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love, by the message of truth, by the power of God, through weapons of righteousness in the right hand and the left, through glory and dishonour, through slander and good report, as deceivers yet true, as unknown yet recognised, as dying and look we live, as being chastened yet not killed, as grieving yet always rejoicing, as poor yet enriching many, as having nothing yet possessing everything. We have spoken openly to you, Corinthians. Our heart has been opened wide. You are not limited by us, but you are limited by your own affections. Now in like response, I speak as to children, you also should be open to us. Do not be mismatched with unbelievers, for what partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship does light have with darkness? What agreement does Christ have with Belial? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? And what agreement does God's sanctuary have with idols? For we are the sanctuary of the living God, as God said, I will dwell among them and walk among them, and I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch any unclean thing and I will welcome you. I will be a father to you and you will be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, dear friends, since we have such promises, we should wash ourselves clean from every impurity of the flesh and spirit, making our sanctification complete in the fear of God. Take us into your hearts. We have wronged no one, corrupted no one, defrauded no one. I don't say this to condemn you, for I have already said that you are in our hearts, to die together and to live together. I have great confidence in you. I have great pride in you. I am filled with encouragement. I am overcome with joy in all our afflictions. In fact, when we came into Macedonia, we had no rest. Instead, we were afflicted in every way. Struggles in the outside, fears inside. But God, who comforts the humble, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort he received from you. He announced to us your deep longing, your sorrow, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. For although I grieved you with my letter, I do not regret it, even though I did regret it, since I saw that the letter grieved you, though only for a little while. Now I am rejoicing, not because you were grieved, but because your grief led to repentance. For you were grieved as God willed, so that you didn't experience any loss from us. For godly grief produces a repentance, not to be regretted in leading to salvation, but worldly grief produces death. For consider how much diligence this very thing, this grieving as God wills, has produced in you. What a desire to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what deep longing, what zeal, what justice. In every way you have commanded yourselves to be pure in this matter. So even though I wrote to you, it was not because of the one who did wrong, or because of the one who was wronged, but in order that your diligence for us might be made plain to you in the sight of God. For this reason we have been comforted. In addition to our comfort, we were made to rejoice even more over the joy Titus had, because his spirit was refreshed by all of you. For if I have made any boast to him about you, I have not been embarrassed, but as I have spoken everything to you in truth, 
so our boasting to Titus has also turned out to be the truth, and his affection towards you is even greater as he remembers the obedience of all of you and how you received him with fear and trembling. I rejoice that I have complete confidence in you. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God granted to the churches of Macedonia. During a severe testing by affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed into the wealth of their generosity. I testify that on their own, according to their ability and beyond their ability, they begged us insistently for the privilege of sharing in the ministry to the saints, and not just as we had hoped. Instead, they gave themselves especially to the Lord, then to us by God's will, So we urged Titus that, just as he had begun, so he should also complete this grace to you. Now as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence and in your love for us, excel also in this grace. I am not saying this as a command, rather by means of the diligence of others I am testing the genuineness of your love. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, although he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. Now I am giving an opinion on this because it is profitable for you, who a year ago began not only to do something but also to desire it. But now finish the task as well, that just as there was eagerness to desire it, so there may also be a completion from what you have. For if the eagerness is there, it is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what he does not have. It is not that there may be relief for others and hardship for you, but it is a question of equality. At the present time your surplus is available for their need, so that their abundance may also become available for your need, that there may be equality. As it has been written, the person who gathered much did not have too much, and the person who gathered little did not have too little. And there we end, day 335 and the 11th month. Day 336, and we begin the 12th section and the 12th month of this read-through on day 336. And we continue through Second Corinthians, reading from chapter 8, verse 16, through to chapter 12, verse 10. Thanks be to God, who put the same diligence for you into the heart of Titus. For he accepted our urging, and being very diligent, went out to you by his own choice. With him we have sent the brother who is praised throughout the churches for his gospel ministry. And not only that, but he was also appointed by the churches to accompany us with this gift that is being administered by us for the glory of God himself and to show our eagerness to help. We are taking this precaution so no one can find fault with us concerning this large sum administered by us. For we are making provision for what is honourable, not only before the Lord but also before men. We have also sent with them our brothers whom we have often tested in many circumstances and found diligent, and now even more diligent because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and co-worker serving you. As for our brothers, they are the messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. Therefore before the churches show them the proof of your love and our boasting about you. Now concerning the ministry to the saints, it is unnecessary for me to write to you. For I know your eagerness, and I brag about you to the Macedonians. Achaia has been prepared since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I sent the brothers so our boasting about you in the matter would not prove empty, and so you would be prepared, just as I said. For if any Macedonians should come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to mention you, would be embarrassed in that situation. 
Therefore I considered it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance the generous gift you promised, so that it will be ready as a gift and not an extortion. Remember this, the person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the person who sows generously will also reap generously. Each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not out of regret or out of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make every grace overflow to you, so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. As it is written, He has scattered, He has given to the poor, His righteousness endures forever. Now the one who provides seed for the sower and bread for food will provide and multiply your seed and increase the harvest of your righteousness, as you are enriched in every way for all generosity, which produces thanksgiving to God through us. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many acts of thanksgiving to God. Through the proof of this service, they will glorify God for your obedience to the confession of the gospel of Christ, and for your generosity in sharing with them and with others. And in their prayers for you, they will have deep affection for you, because of the surpassing grace of God on you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Now I, Paul, make a personal appeal to you by the gentleness and graciousness of Christ. I, who am humble among you in person, but bold toward you when absent. I beg you that when I am present, I will not need to be bold with the confidence by which I plan to challenge certain people who think we are walking in a fleshly way. For although we are walking in the flesh, we do not wage war in a fleshly way, since the weapons of our warfare are not fleshly, but are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds. We demolish arguments and every high-minded thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God, taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And we are ready to punish any disobedience once your obedience is complete. Look at what is obvious. If anyone is confident that he belongs to Christ, he should remind himself of this. Just as he belongs to Christ, so do we. For if I boast some more about our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for tearing you down, I am not ashamed. I don't want to seem as though I am trying to terrify you with my letters, for it is said, His letters are weighty and powerful, but his physical presence is weak and his public speaking is despicable. Such a person should consider this. What we are in the words of our letters when absent, we will be in actions when present. For we don't dare classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. But in measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves to themselves, they lack understanding We, however, will not boast beyond measure, but according to the measure of the area of ministry that God has assigned to us, which reaches even to you. For we are not overextending ourselves, as if we had not reached you, since we have come to you with the gospel of Christ. We are not bragging beyond measure about other people's labours, but we have the hope that as your faith increases, our area of ministry will be greatly enlarged, so that we may preach the gospel to the regions beyond you, not boasting about what has already been done in someone else's area of ministry. So the one who boasts must boast in the Lord, for it is not the one commending himself who is approved, but the one the Lord commands. I wish you would put up with a little foolishness from me. Yes, do put up with me, for I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy, because I have promised you in marriage to one husband to present a pure virgin to Christ. But I fear that, as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, 
your minds may be corrupted from a complete and pure devotion to Christ. For if a person comes and preaches another Jesus, whom we did not preach, or you receive a different spirit which you had not received, or a different gospel which you had not accepted, you put up with it splendidly. Now I consider myself in no way inferior to the super-apostles. Though untrained in public speaking, I am certainly not untrained in knowledge. Indeed, we have always made that clear to you in everything. Or did I commit a sin by humbling myself so that you might be exalted, because I preached the gospel of God to you free of charge? I robbed other churches by taking pay from them to minister to you. When I was present with you and in need, I did not burden anyone, for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my needs. I have kept myself, and will keep myself, from burdening you in any way. As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be stopped in the regions of Achaia. Why? Because I don't love you. God knows I do. But I will continue to do what I am doing, in order to cut off the opportunity of those who want an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in what they are boasting about. For such people are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising them as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself is disguised as an angel of light, so it is no great thing if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their destiny will be according to their works. I repeat, no one should consider me a fool, but if you do, at least accept me as a fool, so I too may boast a little. What I say in this matter of boasting, I don't speak as the Lord would, but foolishly. Since many boast from a human perspective, I will also boast. For you gladly put up with fools since you are so smart. In fact, you put up with it if someone enslaves you, if someone devours you, if someone captures you, if someone dominates you, or if someone hits you in the face. I say this to our shame, we have been weak. But in whatever anyone dares to boast, I am talking foolishly, I also dare. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm talking like a madman, but I'm a better one, with far more labours, many more imprisonments, far worse beatings, near death many times. Five times I received from the Jews forty lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I have spent a night and a day in the depths of the sea. On frequent journeys I have faced dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the open country, dangers in the sea and dangers amongst false brothers, labour and hardship, many sleepless nights, hunger and thirst, often without food, cold and lacking clothing. Not to mention other things, there is the daily pressures on me, my care for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to stumble and I do not burn with indignation? If boasting is necessary, I will boast about my weaknesses. The eternally blessed one, the God and Father of the Lord Jesus, knows I am not lying. In Damascus, the governor under King Artaas guarded the city of the Damascenes in order to arrest me. So I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. It is necessary to boast. It is not helpful, but I will move on to the visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who was caught up into the third heaven fourteen years ago. Whether he was in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. I know that this man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows, was caught up into paradise. He heard inexpressible words, which man is not allowed to speak. 
I will boast about this person, but not about myself, except of my weaknesses. For if I want to boast, I will not be a fool, because I will be telling the truth. But I will spare you, so that no one can credit me with something beyond what he sees in me or hears from me, especially because of the extraordinary revelations. Therefore, so that I would not exalt myself, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to torment me, so I would not exalt myself. Concerning this I pleaded with the Lord three times to take it away from me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Therefore I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may reside in me. So because of Christ I am pleased in weaknesses and insults, in catastrophes and persecutions and in pressures. For when I am weak, then I am strong." And there we end, day 336 and week 48.